Flashback to 2010. Jinjun Zhang is four years into his career working on artificial intelligence programs at IBM. At the time, three disasters gripped the world: a catastrophic earthquake in Haiti, the BP oil spill, and devastating volcanic eruptions in Iceland. Seeking solace, Zhang signed up for volunteer work in an impoverished area of India. Shortly after returning home, his employer, IBM, made headlines worldwide. This is Jeopardy, the IBM challenge. Yes, Big Blue's groundbreaking Watson program achieved an historic milestone in artificial intelligence by besting the game show's greatest champions. Watson's victory signaled a new era of natural language processing, information retrieval, and other critical underpinnings of AI. While incredibly impressive, the demonstration left Zhang feeling somewhat hollow. We spend all this time, all this money, all these resources, but who did we really help? Zhang made a decision then that guides his career to this day. Whatever he is working on, his goal is to design smart, efficient AI solutions for the betterment of society. Welcome to Driven to Discover, a University at Buffalo podcast that explores what inspires today's innovators. My name is Corey Nealon, and today I will be talking with Jinjun Zhang, director of the University of Buffalo Institute for Artificial Intelligence and Data Science. The subject: AI for social good. Jinjun, welcome to the show. So, if you could take us back a little over ten years ago, when Watson was wowing the world, you had a slightly different reaction. That's correct. That's correct. And that's how I started to coin the terms. I called the. Flash AI versus the earthly AI. On the one hand, I see the world needs so many solutions, right? Needs so many people's help. But on the other hand, in the U.S., we are developing so advanced technology. At that time, wasn't right, and、uh, it's artificial intelligence and、uh, able to understand not a very、uh, kind of unstructured information. And able to compete with a human in this kind of the Jeopardy show, and AI is able to 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 win. And of course, when IBM designed the Watson game, has its own purpose, you know, to demonstrate what technology can do. So that is totally uh, good uh, intention, good uh, objective. But on the other hand, yes, I, I always believe technology should not、uh, really just to demonstrate how technology can beat a human, but actually. How technology can really help a human extend a human's capabilities, and that's sort of the idea behind that earthly AI. Like, what can we do in a practical,、uh, common sense way to help people in their various needs? That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Let's dig a little deeper into that. You were at IBM, and you were sort of making this pivot into that、uh, that type of work already, right? What kind of projects were you doing there? IBM had this big smarter planet. An initiative that was a little bit before this IBM's Watson days, and、uh, since my background is in the electrical engineering and the computer engineering, so I know the electrons very well. And I thought, okay, how can I leverage my background and to solve these sustainability issues? We established、uh, a consortium called the IBM Smart Energy Research Institute, where we work with、uh, a number of largest、uh, utility companies. And jointly identify what are the pressing needs in the smart energy industry or in the power grid industry, where technology or big data can help. 
you're talking about the more efficient use of energy as it travels through the grid. You're talking about uh, being able to better predict storms, outages, the demands that come and go with spikes in energy. And then you went to work with IBM into higher education, correct? Yes, that's a kind of that's the kind of the transition period. You know, when IBM won the Jeopardy, right, in the Watson in 2011, and uh, in a couple of years, IBM decided to kind of take advantage of that technology and uh, to focus on a number of uh, industries. And uh, one of the industries IBM felt that uh, technology can help, in fact, is education. And that kind of opened up my eyes. Exactly, that's what I was looking for. And that's how I started to work with the University of Illinois and uh, try to explore how can we establish a program and uh, so we can address this uh, educational uh, problems systematically. We established this uh, IBM Illinois Center for Cloud Computing System Research. The essence is to use AI technology, right, to provide a kind of individualized, customized uh, education for individual students. And in, in, in that particular use case, it's about the experiential learning. And that's how I started really, really working into this kind of uh, educational space and also in the academic industry partnership kind of setting. It sort of gave you a sense of what's possible in, in higher ed and in education in general. Oh, yes, indeed. Even though I have been working with a lot of faculty members, right, in the past as well, but this is this experience with my collaborators and at Illinois, and it really opened up my eyes to see what is possible, right? First, the talents in terms of students, right? And the second, there's so many opportunities to explore different ideas. And even though I worked at IBM Research, as a researcher, we always try new ideas. But in the company settings, right, you have to be kind of aligned with some of the business needs. So that's kind of constrain some of your exploration opportunities. But in the universities, students being young, they're still learning, and they're not afraid of trying things. They're not afraid of uh, to, to fail, right? So just give a lot of more opportunities to explore. Well, that actually takes us right into kind of your work here at UB. Oh, yes. <laughs> that, that's kind of, uh, I, I, I really uh, feel like I'm, I'm lucky enough, you know, fortunate enough to be able to join UB at the right time. I take kind of a similar to my, my experience in this space and I start a few uh, kind of explorations. The very first one is this AI for education, right? And uh, and happen to be the National Science Foundation have the third round of this uh, call for proposals. And, uh, and uh, they have two uh, threads, which is how to use AI to help adult learning. Another one is how to use AI to help children with disabilities. So I decided to uh, spend time to understand this domain and uh, the issues and uh, to see how AI can help. And uh, that led to the, um, the UB's uh, winning this uh, award from National Health Foundation and um, to, to establish this uh, uh, National AI uh, Institute for Exceptional Education. Basically, how to use AI technology to help children with disabilities. And we're talking specifically about uh, children with speech, language processing uh, challenges. Um, a little bit of background on that, right, is that there's um, not enough teachers out there in that uh, specific field. And what you're talking about, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're talking about um, 
putting AI systems in the classroom, which would sort of act as early identification that a student might be having a problem in this area, correct? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, and um, so by talking to many um, kind of uh, the special education teachers and also a lot of parents who have the special education kids at home, right? And early on, like, I identified uh, two major challenges uh, in, this, um, in this area, right? The first one is a lot of parents complained, you know, their children uh, being identified late for their needs, right, for the special needs. The second one is the number of caseload for the special education teachers just too much. So how can we use AI to develop some solutions to, let's say, put into the, uh, the child care centers so we can identify children who are in need of services early, right? The second solution is, okay, are some solutions in the public school systems. For any children who are in need of the services, can we help the special education teachers so to help them to monitor the progress, provide customized dashboard for them, right? And then also to recommending the right intervention at the right time for them. And also help them to develop more creative or more evidence-based new interventions. Right. So you have that customized learning platform that comes in after the children are screened. The AI program, the, the chat bot or, or whatever it form it takes is interacting with the children, the child, learning and, and providing personalized lessons. And that also um, enables the traditional instructor to do that one-on-one work with students, which they aren't able to do right now because they're typically uh, working with children in groups. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, that's because of the caseload is uh, so big, right? Just give you some numbers. There's about 7 million children in, uh, with special education needs in the public school systems. Let's just assume okay, half of them need the speech and language services, right? That's about 3.5 million uh, children. But uh, in the public school systems right now, we only have less than 61,000 speech language pathologists. So that's when you can see the number of caseload, right? Just divided by this uh, simple back of the envelope compilations. You can see, right, it's impossible for every SLPs to uh, help the child individually. And the technology underlying this uh, for this personalized learning, I mean, theoretically, it could be applied to different disabilities, to not even children with disabilities, correct? Oh, that's correct. That's correct. The same technologies can be applied to other use cases, you know, for helping children with other type of uh, disabilities. And even children without disabilities too, you know, in terms of how do you monitor children's uh, uh, progression in, in terms of learning, right? And how do you make the right recommendations? And how to come up with the better ways to learn? So it's not just education, though, that you're working on here at UB. I've noticed that you're working, um, one project includes indoor farming, for lack of a better term. I mean, you're going to have a greenhouse set up in your lab. You're going to have sophisticated sensors monitoring the growth of plants. This is kind of related back to my uh, early work of sustainability, right? I realized there's another uh, challenge facing this indoor uh, growing business. That is, you know, how do you effectively identify the plant disease, right? And also, how do you use the technologies to enable the indoor kind of the growing uh, more, let's say, more productively? So, which means that you need to monitor the health uh, status of the of the, uh, the indoor uh, plants, 
and how do you adjust the lighting conditions so you can stimulate the plants to grow better and healthier. I could see it, you know, this type of uh, technology being more important as um, with climate change, sort of the unpredictability of the weather and the reliability of the seasons. So I, I mean, that's really incredible. I'm looking forward to see how that works out. Right, right. I, I definitely hope so, too. So as director of the University of Buffalo's Institute for Artificial Intelligence and Data Science, um, you also are sort of charged with finding other fields to apply artificial intelligence to. Oh, I see a tremendous opportunities, right? My goal is to really try to tap into the deep expertise in UB across different domains and work with um, the colleagues here to see how AI and data science or technology in general, computing in general, can help, can enable them to do their work more effectively and better. I started a few initiatives, right? So one of the initiatives I call this kind of open door um, office hours. So I invited uh, the colleagues in the, on, across the campus, you know, doesn't matter which uh, areas you are coming from. If you see any uh, challenges in your domain, come talk to me, right, to bring other issues to me. And then I will organize the uh, brainstorming sessions. And then I inviting people who are related who are in the related uh, space in terms of technologies, right? And coming together to brainstorming together to see how technologies to, can help our domain experts to solve that challenge. Yeah, I do see this sort of holistic approach to things here. You know, you want to have your humanities uh, experts and scholars involved because um, this sort of, you know, gets into what, what else I want to talk about is just, you know, it, technology doesn't exist within this defined world. You know, once you create it and give it to the world, it has unintended uses. It goes places you didn't anticipate it. You know, people are concerned. How, how do we do this in a responsible way? How do we, you know, make sure that AI is trustworthy, that it is helpful? It seems like a, a monumental task. It is, it is. I mean, that's a great question. We do need to uh, have this debate, right, between the private and the public kind of, and, and the, the, even the, uh, the all, everyone to in this conversation to think about these issues. But I also want to caution, right, and uh, do not because of the fear of technology, and then we kind of uh, um, prevent technology advan uh, from advancing. And uh, the AI has a uh, tremendous uh, potentials, but once you put into the use case context, you can see a lot of the potentials. It's very hard to realize. There's still a tremendous gap to realize the potential to solve the real use cases. And this needed, that's what I mean, I, I still advocate, right? We still need to have continuous investment into the AI research and to, to really make us realize AI's potentials and uh, to solve those uh, societal challenges. And of course, at the same time, we still keep an eye on the side effects of AI technology and make sure that we know how to regulate, right? And how to mitigate the risk. One of those uh, side effects or potential side effects that I hear a lot about is, um, you know, the potential of loss of jobs as things are automated. How do you adapt to technology change? So my message is, yes, even though the concerns are legitimate, but technology, right, is inevitable. The technology advancement is inevitable. 
right? Like many of these industrial revolutions too. You always can concern about the loss of a job, but I, I would say it's not really loss of a job, right? It's really open up new opportunities for new jobs and how you can adapt to this change, right? And um, back to my earthly AI things, I just thought there's so many tremendous societal needs. There would be no worry about the okay, lack of a job. There's so many jobs just right now, okay, because of we do not have enough resources. We do not have the right technologies. We cannot provide those solutions. So, I mean, for me, I'm still more or less on the positive side, you know, and uh, let the technology to advance, right? Of course, we need more people to know how to utilize the technology to solve the earthly AI needs. So there's other concerns, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but, you know, privacy, misinformation, um, just the ability of using AI programs to cheat or plagiarize. But the last thing I did want to touch about with some level of depth was this idea, right or wrong, that, you know, can machines get to the point where they sort of take over the world? I know it sounds sci-fi, but it's a concern, again, that people have. <laughs> so this, I would typically blame the Hollywood, you know, they cherry pick, right? And also some of the medias too, right? They cherry pick some of the things, yes. And if you cherry pick some of the things to talk about, yes, technology seems like it to be so advanced, right? The moment you apply to solve a real use cases, and you will realize technology is not there yet. So I'm not so concerned. I think as a researcher and a scientist here, and I still want the people to spend more time to really try to uh, address the, uh, the technology gaps. So you're involved with the UBAI chat series, which is an attempt to sort of bridge the gap between public knowledge about AI and the work that's being done in the labs here at the university. Could you tell us just a little bit more about what the goals of that series is and what you're hoping to accomplish? The president's office, you know, did a, uh, started this like a very good uh, initiative, right? So why don't we bring our UB's expertise, right, in AI and data sciences to the communities and have this direct dialogue between technologists and the communities, answer the communities' questions, right? Address their concerns directly. Let them know, yes, AI is here, right? AI has a lot of potentials, but there's still so many earthly AI needs that technology needs to help, and technology can help. I think having this great public channels, right, to communicate, have this direct com uh, communication is a great initiative. And, uh, and I, I think uh, I really have to um, send a praise for the, our present office, you know, able to support this initiative so we can go out to the communities, have this uh, uh, direct dialogue. Well, Jin Jun, thank you for being here. It's been wonderful speaking with you. Oh, thank you so much, Corey. Thank you for having me.